0: one episode 382 of a to the show i'm on with uh ronny Ron multi-board winning serial entrepreneur global impact leader author and advisor, public speaker, speaker with recognitions from the white house united nations uk parliament um and many more athletes thank you so much Rania, for coming on our podcast uh really appreciate your time here how's your day going so far
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show. My day is going great, and I'm really excited to be speaking with you guys. And I'm hoping we'll gonna have an exciting and, and thrilling conversation where everybody will learn something new, and uh, it will be inspiring for everyone. I hope.
0: All right. Yeah. Um, pretty much, let's jump right into it. Right. Um, you've gotten you know um, pretty far in your life. Um, you you know. Uh, did you always know that you'd be where you are? um right now or did it just happen that you know um the the person you were yeah you always have this vision or was it a day-by-day thing for you
1: yeah that's a great question because it's it's one of the hardest ones to answer especially when your career path and your life evolves in very unpredictable ways sometimes even if you have a plan right But for me personally, I came from very humble beginnings. At the age of 18, I migrated to the United States uh, alone. I only had a thousand dollars in my pocket. I had no set plan, no clear vision of the future, and absolutely no idea how how I was going to survive and continue my education. Um, I'm originally from Lebanon, so I came from from Lebanon all the way to Detroit. That was my first destination coming into the United States before I actually moved to California and started my businesses there. But if you were to ask me this particular question when I was boarding the plane back then at the age of 18 uh, with, you know, with so much uncertainty and so much anxiety and fear around what's going to happen to, to, to me when I get to a new place and not really know how I'm going to handle myself and, and what's going to happen. Um, I, I would have probably answered by saying, no, I wouldn't have known where I'm going to be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, later. But um, but I guess since I was a child, I always had a very strong initiative. I had self-direction. Uh, I had a sense of my own identity and my potential. And, and I always always had my own philosophies and perspectives about life. So I knew I had big dreams, I had big ambitions. And most importantly, um, I always knew that I can reach what I set my mind to and achieve what I work hard for. And it's this willpower and drive that got me where I am today and will keep propelling me forward. And I don't know where I will be in 10 years from now. So don't ask me that. <laughs> so I, do, I do have, I do right. have plans. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. I, I will, you know, we'll, we'll see how things evolve and right. how growth happens as well. So
0: it's it's like you have like plans and you have a drive, you know, to get those plans done. But of course, you know, we all know that the world is so random and things can randomly happen and challenges you never saw, you know, just come in your way. I mean, absolutely.
2: Yeah. what are...
0: Yeah. What are um, some challenges that you faced? you know, like some of the harder things that you face and gone through? Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, um, there was there was many challenges and struggles that I personally had to face at different phases of my life from navigating through a difficult upbringing. I grew up in during the civil war in Lebanon, for, for example, so. Uh, so that was a, a very particular experience that I went through as a, as a child growing oh. up during wartime. Um, also to becoming a, a self-starter in a new country and carving an unconventional career path. I didn't go to school to be a doctor or to be a lawyer. Or, uh, so, you know, it, it's, um, it was a, an unconventional career path for me because it evolved a lot throughout the years. Being an entrepreneur is particularly a different task. Uh, that requires tremendous tremendous faith and determination and grid so in the beginnings of my of my journey as an entrepreneur i had no guidance i had no financial support i had no mentors and overall uh, as as a student who was starting a, a business as well while going to school for full time and having none of that support system, it was uh, that the circumstances overall were far from ideal to take any kind of risks. Uh, I was working multiple jobs while attending college full time, as I mentioned, and I had to invest a tremendous effort to obtain the business knowledge on on my own, because as I said as well, I didn't have any mentors beyond that uh, that baseline of not having a support system and, and guidance i had to break through uh, so many barriers due to being an immigrant to due to the fact that i'm also a female and a young entrepreneur so i was uh, being stereotyped my uh-huh. my competencies were being judged i was facing discrimination and blatant sexism and, and i really faced so many opposition uh, uh, so much opposition from Haters and people who just want to sabotage uh, your success, uh, just because you know. Um, so, so there, so there right. was many difficult, really, experiences along the way. But, but you know, there's there's always uh, there's always uh, a way to overcome struggles, right? Like you have to have the right mindset and the right um, the the right um, ha- not just the right mindset, but to have a fighting spirit, like where you are. You are willing you, you have the willpower to overcome Great. right exactly mm-hmm. and
3: um, how were you able to acquire this business knowledge with all of this adversity you had in front of you um like if you can give us some insight on sure. how you attained yeah. it
1: um uh, mainly honestly i was looking at startup entrepreneurs um, what they were doing, how they, they were going about things. I was reading so much content. I was learning from business books. I would just put my hands on, on any kind of content that would give me some kind of a head start on what to do, what I need to learn in terms of setting up a business. Uh, what are the legal uh, uh, types of information that I need to acquire in order to set up an, a, a structure and a, and a business that I can start to run? What I need to do in terms of handling uh, things like HR and hiring people and uh, and intellectual property issues? And so it's really just putting your hands on the knowledge and researching. and And the knowledge is there. It's just a matter of you having the curiosity and having the the mm-hmm. drive. And and again, like the, the willpower, it's, I want to know, so I'm gonna go and seek out that knowledge, because the knowledge is there, the experiences are there. There are so many successful people out in the world who've been there and done that. And you can learn from uh, other people, and you can learn from textbooks, and you can learn from lectures. So, um, so it's really, again, a matter of you putting in the time and effort to seek out the knowledge that can help you grow and on your past and achieve what you want to achieve. Especially when it comes to business knowledge. We're in school. We don't get taught anything about business. You grow up and I'm sure you can relate to this experience as well. You go through all the way through high school. And up until then, you really don't have any knowledge about finances, about taxes, Uh about about entrepreneurship, about leadership, uh, about financial independence. You have no idea about any of those concepts. And you are barely struggling to decide what you want to go to school for and what, what kind of degree you want to get. So I don't think we are well equipped in terms of the education we have now in order to thrive and maneuver and, and, and really uh, find our ways and, and the most efficient uh, ways possible in this new economy. So, um, so again, like I encourage everyone to just seek out the knowledge, even if you're going to traditional school and you're getting the the education, you, you are aiming to, to receive, you have to also be able to seek out any other knowledge that you're not necessarily receiving throughout your um, traditional educational uh, path.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah.
3: I want to point out since we're talking about the education system and since you're an entrepreneur, do you actually believe the education system provides um, the proper tools or proper skill set to become an entrepreneur? Like, let's say for a university and uh, masters and all that. Because for me, uh, the way I perceive it, it's the education system has, is terrible at mm-hmm. creating entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are are more are mainly self-made. The, the education system basically provides you the knowledge and skill set to be an employee,
1: mm-hmm. specialized. Uh,
3: Mm-hmm. True. True. So, yeah, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and and I, you know, I've been through that as well. I mean, I was a bit luckier in terms of uh, the schools I went to had a little bit more of, of an understanding of entrepreneurship. In a way, there was some business classes in college, but not everyone was going to because the 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 majority of the ideology. Is uh, that you need to get your degree, have a great portfolio as a designer, an architect, an engineer, and just you know get out there and get a good job at a at a notable or a well-known uh, corporation, and you made it in life. So most people's, most students' aim was to really just get that job at that company that they dream of working for, and there's nothing wrong with that, but. The education for people who have more of an entrepreneurial streak is definitely lacking in the majority of schools. And even if you honestly, even if you go to business school, even if you go to business school, it doesn't make you an entrepreneur you can acquire the business knowledge. And that's why you, when you look at the uh, majority of successful entrepreneurs, very few of them actually came from a business background, uh, from an educational standpoint. They didn't necessarily have MBAs or go to, <laughs> to, to business school. Right, they were right. actually people, yeah, they're, they're people that have ideas and right. they're able to, you know, get the business skills through experience and expertise and through getting other people that have the formal business knowledge to execute on business strategies but you don't have to have a business degree in order to be successful in business you need to have the the entrepreneurial spirit you need Uh to have the ambition you need to have the curiosity to learn and you need to have really great ideas that you can actually build viable businesses with and and grow uh, with as well but education is definitely lacking on that front and um and like I said, you you will have to, at least up until now, you still have to seek out the knowledge that you want to in terms of the passions that you have outside of the traditional curriculums that most schools offer.
0: Yeah, that's uh, very well put. And uh, definitely, like, I think having drive and having curiosity are something that makes us, you know, uniquely human, right? Um, and I want to pivot a little bit to talk about AI
2: <laughs> since yeah. you know as part
0: of your expertise and sure. um, your company's initiatives have you know really helped um, create social um, change and I'm curious what you think the role of AI could be uh, in human rights and strengthening human rights
1: yeah that's a great question honestly and um And I'm excited to talk about it because people do not really put the two together. They don't put AI with humans in any way, let alone with human rights. (laughs) Uh, But there are, uh, and I'm gonna speak particularly from uh, from my work in the production and, and the supply chain manufacturing world. There are major human rights violations in the global production pipeline that are driven by capitalist greed, lack of innovation on the technical front and uh, workers pay for that because they have to work more getting paid less and then you have the capitalists trying to exploit workers in order to maximize their benefits based on the uh, and i'm just going to give some statistics here because not many people understand how big of an issue that is when it comes to workers rights Um, Based on uh, data from the United Nations um, and the International Labour Organization, there is an estimate of 40 million plus people that are in modern slavery. They are exploited both by the private sector and by state authorities. There are 29 million uh, women and girls who are uh, being uh, disproportionately affected out of those 40 million. So the majority that are affected by exploitation Uh are women and girls. Yeah. Uh
2: Um,
1: There's also about 25 million people that are in forced labor, uh, such as domestic work, uh, agriculture, construction, Uh manufacturing and mining. There are 16 million people who are in forced sexual exploitation and one of four victims are children. So worldwide, when we just look at child labor, there is about 218 million children between the what? age of five. Yeah, between the age of five and 17 that are in employment instead of being in schools. And out of which there are about 151, 152 million that are in child labor, almost half of them are children that are working in extremely dangerous, hazardous uh, work environments, being exposed to toxic fumes, to chemicals, to materials that can cause irreversible damage on on their respiratory, reproductive, and neurological systems. So that's what the world of work looks like for the majority of people out there. When it comes to bringing in technology and how that can actually help to change the working conditions, and, and I'm so grateful we've been having, uh, we've had the the privilege to be able to to go into this field and help so many people when it comes to reducing exploitation of labor and bringing more equity in the workplace through technology, but. Uh, when it comes to automation the the way automation can impact the reduction of global exploitation it happens in three major ways first of all it can save lives by removing uh, workers from conditions that threaten their health and safety number two it can eliminate the incentive for companies to exploit low-wage workers in local productions uh, and, and local production and and lastly it could actually help to increase wages and create more jobs. And not only more jobs, but safer and better work environments. Um, so those are really the, the, the major things that I personally see. And, and we've seen it through practice, through the work that yeah. we do on the ground with the companies that we work with and the organizations that we partner up with. So um, so as the entire production cycle becomes efficient due to implementation of AI and robotics mm-hmm. uh, and other exponential technologies, there will be higher levels of productivity that lead to lower prices on products, increase demand, and help companies generate more profits without having to lower uh, the wages of, of workers and exploit children and women in order to make the profit. Uh, so, so yeah, and also another thing: when you're really increasing production through uh, implementing automation technologies and AI, you're also creating more jobs because now the company is making more money. They theoretically can pay workers uh, better, uh, better salaries. They can provide safer and healthier work conditions, and that also gives the opportunity for them to invest in the education and training of workers as they adapt right. to automation and shift into new jobs that focus yeah. more on innovation and new operations. So this is really the, the reality of how the technology works that many people are not fully aware of. And and that makes them so scared and unable to understand how actually implementing these technologies can have a huge positive impact.
3: Um, okay. So based on the, the that point about the creating more jobs, is this is this true also for less developed countries, or is this mainly for developed countries? Since most of the exploitation occurs by foreign private companies, then they exploit the, the labor force of like a less developed country. So if the sure. these these corporations create they use they start using AI, but maybe they do it in their own their own con- the like home the countries where they're located in. Um, this would provide obviously more jobs there but then it would okay it would remove the the terrible workspace for the people mm-hmm. who are in the less developed countries but would it also provide them jobs or
1: yeah yeah it does because we, we, it, it really applies to all and like you mentioned most of um, most of the exploitation happens in local production meaning that companies uh come in to places where they think they could save on labor and they could save on cost and they set up their manufacturing plants and then they start to export to other places, but but they're reducing their cost mainly by exploiting workers, which is the craziest thing ever, right? right. Um, but but really uh, wherever you are, if you start to, to if, if the goal of uh, the company uh, by exploiting workers is to reduce costs, OK, and maximize profit when the processes, uh, the processes of production get automated, no matter where you are, uh, where, where you are, they the companies can save money. They can experience growth without having to compromise the human dignity and sacrificing uh, millions of people's health and safety. This mm-hmm. is just how it works. Uh, of course, the, the wages will still differ between country to country. But at least the exploitation part will not be there. The the, being exposed to danger and to um, to to highly uh, toxic uh, environments will be eliminated or reduced. The uh, the age of the workers will be more monitored. How the work environment is set up will also be more monitored and will be more uh, more legal and and set up to to uh, in respect to human rights. So um, so again, like the impact is uh, is absolutely positive wherever you are. It doesn't matter. But since since the comp- since companies mainly go to other markets to um uh to to set up production uh, shops and manufacturing plants, the main reason is to really minimize the cost and maximize yeah. the profit. And they go about it normally by exploiting workers because they do. Uh, deploy uh, very old school and traditional ways of uh, of production as well. So yeah. So that that's that's again that's the reality on the ground.
0: No one wants to be ex- exploited, you know. And I always think that you know, especially kids. Like, if you have a whole generation of kids that are not being exploited anymore, they can get their education and then you know help their countries grow and be developed. You know, like I think in our internet society where we can all see each other, we can all. Compared to each other, and um, I like I think this technology can help even the even the playing field a little bit, right? So because no one has to do these um, jobs where they're being exploited now, they can start thinking of ways to be, become their own entrepreneurs or to be more creative or do you know jobs that that aren't as uh, you know automatic yeah. and more manual but more like uh, creative and human.
2: So,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Um, especially that uh, when you implement these technologies, you're really taking, you're, you're, you're really kind of giving people the power back to think rather than being labor machines that, mm-hmm. are, uh, that are being used just for, for, for their physical capacity, like any machine, right? Like, that's why we bring the machine, we bring the machine to give the human their humanity back. That's my that's my philosophy. That's my take on this. We don't we don't create the machine in order to take humanity away from humans. We bring it in so we can give them humanity back, so they could think, they could enjoy themselves, they could be less robotic and less less used and abused as uh, as labor workers, and uh, and more respected for their capacity to think and to innovate and to participate in in a, in a working environment where. Uh, they are more valued for their intellectual capacities.
3: Um, That sounds good to to me. Yeah, that sounds great to me. (laughs) I wanted to ask, since we're mentioning humanity, this might be a bit like, off what we're currently saying, but Mm -hmm. have you, uh, I don't know if you've heard about how Saudi Arabia gave citizenship to an AI? Uh, Like, maybe it was a few years back or something like that. So, Mm -hmm. like, what's your opinion on, like, maybe AI rights in the future?
2: (laughs) Well,
1: I'm going to say one thing, because, you know, with with Saudi Arabia, there's a lot of sensitivity around
2: the culture Mm -hmm. of Saudi Arabia, right?
1: So I don't want to go off in tangents about that, but uh, it's just ironic for a country that has so many resources to be given citizenship to an AI, but also uh, exploiting so many workers and treating uh, foreign workers like crap and and uh i definitely you know that's all what i'm gonna say about Uh that okay (laughs) i think i think if you are if you are that advanced uh in in your thinking and in your um ideology as as an economic power then if you're capable of embracing ai and humanizing ai by giving a uh uh, giving them a citizenship, then you might want to revise your policies and your behaviors and actions in terms of how you actually treat uh, humans that come into the country to to work, and they end up being uh, treated and much less than a human, and and uh, uh, being you know exploited in many different ways. So I hope that they could level the field in terms of how they are. They are a huge economic power. They have so much capacity. They could lead the way in terms of setting the example when it comes to embracing technologies. I also would love to see them embracing, um, also uh, kind of bridging the gap there and showing up in the same way when it comes to human rights.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're hypocrites in this uh, in this perspective. Um, but I wanted to... to uh, Clarify my question. And I hope I, I don't offend. Yes, no <laughs> yes, no No, no, no. Uh, yes. <laughs> I
2: mean, I speak
1: about this in every place. I mean, we we have so many initiatives when it comes to exploitation in different places. So, yeah. you know, it's just one one of one of the places that do suffer from that as well. So that's why I brought it up. No, but yeah sure. go ahead you you want you want to i wanted to clarify I,
3: what i meant was um basically ai mm-hmm. rights in like mm-hmm. on the on the same level as human rights you know yes mm-hmm. that's what i was talking that's what i meant because obviously we still struggle to properly um in uh, what's it called apply human rights in like in, uh, around the world so where do you see like ai rights fitting into this and how can we actually because ai is is growing so rapidly and maybe one day they might actually have like (laughs) they might develop a conscience they might become sentient i don't know like i'm just like going a bit wild with it (laughs) too futuristic Mm -hmm, i know mm -hmm. but is it possible and is it something that we might see you know like ai and humans on the same level consciously speaking
2: you
1: know, it is possible, but um, but I don't think, I mean, as long as we are the ones that are developing the technology, we can, the most we can do and reach is make it as intelligent as we are, right? Mm-hmm. It's very hard to make something um, that's more intelligent than you. It's just not logical. It's not possible. So yeah. it really depends on, on how these developments go. But... Um, I, pers- I personally see that the, the technology is developing in a way where there's so much uh, so much effort is being put into really making AI much more smarter and much more conscious and much more capable of, uh, of making decisions and, and operating like we operate as humans when it comes to consciousness. Um, I think we're still, these, these, uh, these developments are still in the works. But at the end of the day, the smartest AI will only be as smart as, as the smartest human who created it. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, that's that's what I think, uh, and you know, and that w- that's still a range that we don't know how far we're gonna go because we have so many brilliant people working on these developments. So again, it really depends on how far we go, um, and it will be dependent as well on how smart and how intelligent the people are who are working on it but there's no machine that can be much smarter than we are because at the end of the day we're creating it it might it not it might not be as smart as all of us but it will be as smart as the person who created it at least
2: (laughs) we're gonna
0: um, i feel like we're gonna pull this podcast up in like 10 years in the future and see like how the predictions really align Maybe I an mean,
3: AI, AI would like, pull up this podcast and be like, "See, <laughs> yeah, see
2: yeah. you were wrong.
0: <laughs> Jeez. Like we,
2: we are
0: we're, we're smarter than all of you."
2: Now. <laughs> um, I wanted
0: uh, on the on the point of AI. Uh, I want to know about um. So how what how is the role of human work going to change? Right, we already have. Um, I saw a few weeks ago there was like this robot AI nurse, pretty much. That's you know. A nurse, yeah. but AI, and we, you know, there are many um, AIs that are doing all these different jobs and roles. So, what's left for um, us humans? How do you think? You know, we're just predicting. Who, from you, know, you understand this, so what do you think the roles of humans and the new jobs that are going to come out of this?
1: Sure. To to be very accurate about automation, because a lot of people think uh, they're still kind of caught up in this bubble that uh, there's so many statistics out there about automation taking away jobs and and all that. So um, in reality, to be more accurate, automation has already started to create new roles and new jobs. Uh, There are at least right now 10 future jobs already in the market right here, right now. And some of these some of these jobs, excuse me, uh, are not very uh, common to to most people because they are emergent, and not a lot of people are aware that they do have so much potential to ride the wave and and really thrive in the new economy and and look at new jobs because everybody's still looking at the jobs that they are familiar with, but they're Mm -hmm. not looking at the new roles that are emerging due to the to the fast growing uh, technologies and innovation when it comes to automation and AI. Uh, like I mentioned, there are 10 future jobs right here, right now, uh, that not everybody's going to school to study or, or are aware that they exist. Some of these jobs are automation economists,
2: mm-hmm. AI
1: tra- AI, uh, AI trainer, a business pro- uh, process automation programmer, chatbot uh, copywriter, machine learning engineer, uh, there's a uh, chief listening officer that people don't know what that is right <laughs> uh, there, there's a robot technician there are tech eth- uh, ethicists there are so many other uh and, and many others that are still emerging so so that said there are many opportunities for employment in the new economy and uh, if we look at the data new data reveals that Uh, There are 96 jobs across seven professional clusters that are fast emerging in tandem, reflecting digital and human factors that are driving growth in the future of work. Uh, And all of these, they they reflect the the adoption of new technologies that's increasing, like increasing demand for new uh, green economy jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. roles at the forefront of uh, data and AI economy as well as new roles in engineering, cloud uh, cloud computing, uh, product development. So the problem is that people with low educational attainment are going to be the most at risk yep. due to automation and and the, the rise of robotics and the in the workplace. So education and training are critical problems to be solved, to close the uh-huh. skill gap by, by developing the professional competences that are needed to fulfill these new roles. The growth and the absolute scale of these opportunities will really be uh, determined by the choices and the investments that are made by companies, by educational uh, institutions and by go- governments as well. So the potential is there. The new roles are there. We just need to really get people more educated and more trained for these specific jobs and really let them understand more what's happening in the economy. Like a lot of people are in the dark about what's really going on. If you're not specialized in a certain area, you don't even hear about these jobs. You don't understand that those things exist, let alone you knowing that you have an opportunity to go get a training and get an incredible job uh, doing it. That's, not what the traditional educational system is necessarily providing you for. So you could actually, you don't need to go get a degree, but you can maybe go get a, special, get, uh, get a specialized certification to be able to get on one of these jobs, because now you're going to have much higher uh, um, a chance to fulfill this role because you have the exact skills that it takes to fulfill that role and to perform at your best.
0: Uh, Wow, yeah, I will say I never thought of it, you know, that way that, you know, you need, like, um, you're right about the issue that like, um, the people who might be impacted are people who do not have high education attainment, you said it. And I guess that creates new roles for us to teach new people and education is going to be even more important and going to have an even bigger role. And maybe that might be where people can get jobs in the future too, and educating and training people. Absolutely. I think
3: that role falls upon the, the government in some way because if they are going to start implementing in, in their economy like automation and AI, uh, they're obviously going to benefit from that because the economy is going is to grow. So in that sense, if they want to Im- increase the, the participation of, their, of the, the people, they're going to have to educate them as, and provide the opportunities of education to the, to the local populace.
1: 100 uh, yeah. percent it's mm-hmm. it's government it's really uh the different sectors you have the the private sector that's also responsible because you have companies that are evolving and how they operate by implementing technologies so they have a big responsibility when it comes to upskilling and training their workers to be able to fulfill these new roles that's actually one of the the core uh, initiatives that we do when we're working with companies and implementing technologies with them is to make sure that there is a whole training program that's set up to to elevate the, the quality and educational level and really bring people up to date with the skills in order to stay so they don't have to uh, kick people out and, and do these major layoffs if they actually start to invest in the upskilling and training of their workers. And then you have the the government, of course, that needs to be investing in in their own workers and also facilitating the job for companies and for educational institutions to to set up these kind of curriculums to help uh, upskill and train and give the right education for people. So it's really, it has to be a collaborative effort between the different sectors. And uh, especially with COVID-19, I want to mention that with COVID-19 specifically, like the way Uh, companies and industries conduct their businesses around the world have permanently changed. And one of the biggest impacts is related to automation, since businesses have um, had to adapt to the sudden changes in the market. And without automation, to be honest, I mean, if we really want to be very realistic, it's highly unlikely that the changes and and adapting to the change is uh, highly unlikely to happen efficiently and profitably without automation. So um, so all that said, you know, it, it means that these roles that right. are emerging now are are not gonna be optional anymore. They are gonna Oof. be critical. <laughs> so we yeah exactly we just need to really get people to to understand what's happening in the market a little bit more besides just freaking them out about covid-19 and right and other things they need to really know how they could function in the new economy right. with all the changes that are going on and i think you know that there's there's a lot of effort that needs to happen there in terms of bringing awareness and giving hope to people mm. rather than keep spreading these like dystopic right. messages about
2: the world. <laughs> literally. I mean, you're,
0: you're
1: blowing my mind
0: right now, Rania. Like all this information you're saying, I wish like, I wish that was on the news and I wish, you know, like I had this information to tell my little cousin what kind of job he should get, you know? So <laughs> literally I'm going to send this podcast to him so he can really know like what to do because, um, yeah, like what you're saying is so so real and it's so true, but it's also I've never heard it. It's the first time I'm yeah. hearing all this. So, um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm curious, uh, what do you think? So it's happening pretty fast, as you said, with COVID's expediting it too. Um, what are kind of um, the roadblocks right now in AI and automation? I mean, you said there are like millions of people that are being exploited due to um, and due to the work market and um we would like them not to be exploited you know as soon as possible right so what <laughs> what is the barrier right now from um for ai
1: um so you want me to talk about the challenges but yeah. per se or okay um so i i think the main challenges right now is uh specifically in uh in robotics and the robotics area there are many challenges um, especially that that's what's been really needed right now um, to to make things happen and to expedite operations during the last five years uh, robots for example have become an indispensable tool for many companies particularly over the last two years like i mentioned with the mm-hmm. challenges such as supply chain disruptions we have labor shortages as we we just talked about the the lack of education and training so there are there is labor shortages not only because of the disruptions that are happening in the supply chain but also because there are skill gaps um also you have the pandemic fears all of that has uh, contributed to an increased demand for, manufacturing robots, for example, and with that comes also the advancements in AI.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, robotics today are, uh, still is, is still one of the most advanced fields in technology today, and that's something people are also not aware of. But um, that really owes to the fact that incorporate, it incorporates a spectrum of other technologies like artificial intelligence, like automation, like the Internet of Things. All of these technologies have really contributed to bringing robotics advancements to the forefront. Despite these advances, however, the the sector still has a long way to go. And um, some of the biggest challenges that we are seeing in robotics right now are uh, primarily for developers and for manufacturers, Um, the focus uh now needs to be on increasing the multi functionality of robots uh the navigation and mapping skills how to expand uh valid artificial intelligence uh, the sustainability and energy efficiency issues that we still struggle with uh social relationships and overall ethics like you know uh Said mentioned that earlier, and he was trying to 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 talk about that as well. So all these issues, in addition to privacy issues, so um, once these once we really start to to work on uh, on, on on increasing uh, the uh, efficiency and the multifunctionality of these different areas, I think robots can start to advance and do more meaningful work and people will start to feel much and much less threatened by the presence of robots and the implementation of art, uh, artificial intelligence uh, and other types of technologies as well.
3: Yeah, I think the main thing that uh, drives people to be, be against AI is the fear of the unknown. They don't know what okay. uh, they don't know what AI is, what it can do. All the, the main picture that is portrayed to them is the things they see on TV or in movies and uh, yeah. so for example like terminator and stuff <laughs> like that i mean when, yeah, yeah, there, when you are, there are magnet. so many myths yeah exactly so these are myths. also yeah. so many myths exactly and but for me when i was doing my research on ai uh, one of the things that popped out for me is the the possibility of having a universal basic income so mm-hmm. i don't know if, if that is something that's plausible so if you could maybe give us some insight on that i would i'd would like to hear your opinion on it
1: well it's a very controversial topic obviously when it comes to that but but you know i'm gonna just i don't want to get into the politics of it all so much but Mm -hmm. but what i would say is that um everybody deserves to have at least the minimum uh, a a minimum wage that can help you to survive right Mm -hmm. uh the problem now is that we have people that are struggling so much and they are—they can barely pay the bill and they can barely keep up, but they're working so much. So it just doesn't make sense how much they're working compared to how much money they're making and how much they're struggling. And a big part of that, I personally believe, is really to the nature of work. It's just the nature of things we do. A lot of things we do are very slow because a lot of it is very labor intensive and labor work is slow work Uh, so you end up doing so much more and getting paid so much less just again because you are being used up like a machine rather than using your intellectual capacities where with those capacities you could exponentially grow and you could exponentially move and that's why you know you have people that are thriving, working much less, but making a lot more. And then you have people that are working so much more and making so much less. So I think at the end of the day, it's really about kind of really changing the nature of work itself and and Mm -hmm. what people need to focus on in terms of the type of work that they do in order to maximize the value um, of their time. Because, you know, like right now, I mean, nobody wants to be working 10 hours a day making less than you know nine dollars an hour or ten dollars an hour and in some countries people are making less than a dollar an hour Mm -hmm. or some less than a dollar a day it's absolutely Mm -hmm. insane if you really look at the global economy and how the wages are distributed Mm -hmm. i just think that technology can really give everyone a way to start um, becoming more efficient in terms of how they they do work but also it gives you new avenues in terms of entrepreneurship and and business and and bringing new ideas to the world and and just existing in a different way than we've been conditioned to exist for so long yeah. um that's just you know my I'm my hopeful. take on that
0: yeah i am hopeful on it that's a great take honestly very insightful um yeah. i want to i, I mean
1: i I'd love for us to talk about the myth, honestly, because I feel like people really need to hear. Um...
3: I think we're yeah, we're leaving it for the best for last, maybe. Yeah.
1: Let's
0: do next Yeah,
2: let's do tell us about the myth. What are the
0: myths?
2: We...
1: My oh, you want to you want to talk about it? Oh, okay. Yeah, let's go
2: for
1: it. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I was excited when you mentioned myth, because, you know, it's one of those critical things when it comes to actually educating the public, right? Because it's, you have to debunk myth in order to bridge that educational gap and, and really bring the knowledge forward so people can understand what's real and what's not. Um, automation in, in general is really prevalent across industries yet uh what what we're seeing is not every business is ready to implement it due to hesitations to due, mm-hmm. due to doubts that it's are new. grounded in yeah it's new but but the has hesita- the hesitations and the doubts and the fears are really grounded and absolutely nothing but common myths but hearsays about misunderstandings by incorrect assumptions about automation um so, so there are multiple, multiple myths that I would like to debunk, to debunk today for, for our listeners and I think it would be great. Um, the first one I want to talk about is um, uh, people think that automation is too expensive, especially for small businesses. Um, to be clear, automation is costly, but the return on investment from implementing it exceeds the initial investment for any mm-hmm. businesses, for, for any type of business. Um, on one hand, you're, you're, uh, automating redundant tasks that inc- increases your productivity and it saves money because now you are really getting multiple benefits for the cost of one. So that's one. Number two, on the other hand, <clears throat> automation, um, saves time so employees can focus on innovation. Like, you know, I, I, mentioned earlier, like you, you give people their humanity back by removing them from, uh, operating like machines from roles where they have to operate like machines. So when it comes to to, to the second portion of that myth, that automation is, is uh, automation is not reserved for big companies that have only large budgets. That's that's absolutely uh, a, a lie. And in reality, uh, small businesses, what they tend to do is they tend to really waste so much money on uh, on run of the mill types of expenses every day. And for that same cost they could pay for a whole month of a subscription to an automation software that can Mm -hmm. help them to to grow in the long term. Uh, And there are so many studies by McKinsey and other research companies about the implementation of of automation technologies for businesses that really show that companies that implement automation are at least six times more likely to experience revenue growth of 15% or more First companies huge. that have yeah, that's a huge difference. And uh-huh. and in other cases, I mean, in, in our cases, for example, working in the and uh, in the industrial sector, uh, uh-huh. the solutions that we've been able to create have been have been saving customers fifty to sixty million dollars on average over a three year run, while uh-huh. increasing their return on investment by a minimum of two hundred and forty nine percent. <laughs> While they're achieving very high efficiencies of, you know, 45% reduction in energy and consumption and up to 62% in cost savings.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: in addition to, to the de- decrease of harmful emissions and overall positive impact on, again, like providing a safer, healthier work environment for, for workers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um so that's myth number one. <laughs> the the uh, second myth that people, uh, that's why they kind of shy away from automation or they're scared to implement it, is they think that automation is tough or it's difficult. Um, I personally think that companies that think automation is tough definitely have not visualized it from a business standpoint. Um, Many people think that automation is, is a rule based uh, rule based decision to automate business functions, and and that that these will work in, in a standard simple workflows, and that will eventually get so complex with scale. So they avoid it altogether. So um, so they fear having to to fix uh, and debug issues, uh, as well as uh, fearing that that you know, they will have to break the standard workflow. So, you know, again, such such fear is absolutely ungrounded because there are many open source software. Uh, There are proprietary options in the market that you can easily integrate with any system to keep the workflow intact, regardless of your company's underlying computing environment and technologies. So... um, and plus, like we, we talked earlier about upskilling people, if you are hiring the the right people, skilled people mm-hmm. that have the and and you have the proper planning, security measures, technology guidelines, automation could absolutely prevent uh, the rushes to fix any issues. So yes, automation can be tough when one doesn't have a clear picture of which business objective they have to achieve. Um, the myth, the third one, that uh, automation can't help if you have complex infrastructure. That's another. That's that's another illogical myth. Uh, that automation is only useful for simple tasks and it can't help businesses with complex infrastructures and and workflows. Yes, it, it's true that automation cannot particularly handle unique or infrequent and unpredictable workflows that require human analyses or Uh, expert decision-making, but it could be a perfect fit uh, into any complex uh, infrastructure and it could even help uh, to break complex workflows down into a more simplified and repetitive tasks that can eventually increase the efficiency and the productivity Uh, and uh, it will also reduce the work, the, the workload that your team is training under. Back to what we again said earlier, like once you start to implement these things, you really, you, you reduce the labor work and the workload on your, on your team and on the people and give them the chance to do other things, other things where they could use right. their brains and their creativity. Um, the fourth myth, uh, myth that I want to talk about, which is important to make a distinction, it, the people think that automation and artificial intelligence are the same. Um, closely related to the, previous, <laughs> to the previous net, is the belief that automation and artificial intelligence are the same. So um, although the terms are used interchangeably, they are entirely different concepts. Automation is designed to complete repetitive tasks at high speed and efficiency through taking inputs and performing logical operations. Very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Typically, when uh, a process uh, reaches a maturity, companies start to automate the process to reduce any efficiencies and workloads. For example, if you have an organization, um, you start to automate the hiring process, and that's how you reduce HR's workload. For example, um, AI, on the other hand, is an advanced technology, uh, and and that's why I was saying earlier when when you asked about the AI yeah. and and how far we're going to go. Um, AI is an advanced technology that can predict. It can perform high-end functions. It can mm-hmm. help to, uh, to make decisions um, it, that, that involve uh, activities that, that uh, dissect and analyze massive data. So this is a lot of brain power uh, when we're talking about how AI works. Here, you have the output and the input are trained and they're tested to precisely uh, detect a prediction pattern. For example, uh, when you use your uh, your phone for uh, for auto correction, this is AI at work <laughs> right there. Right? Yeah. Um, so, so that said, uh, process automation is not artificial intelligence. Uh, automation is not uh, uh, automation is not intelligent. It doesn't use machine learning it cannot make decisions it cannot come up with solutions or, or or draw conclusions for you however and that's how we work in industry when you combine automation with artificial intelligence this is when you can tra- transform your business operations for good um oh wow there are so many other myths um, okay, um, um do we have time to get yes i into-
0: I want to ask you: um, can, can AI do, do a podcast? No, I'm just
2: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I mean, one day. If you,
1: if you set it up, if you set up your questions, like when you look at, uh, you know, the, the robots that are set up. I don't know if you've seen the interview with uh, Will, Will Smith on a date with uh, with uh, with the, the AI-enabled uh, uh, robot. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't where, seen that. No. Know,
2: yeah. Anyway, it look it funny. up.
1: It's pretty fun. It's really yeah. funny. But uh, <laughs> but if you start to program it in a way mm-hmm. where you teach it, you teach it, you you through machine learning, you can mm-hmm. teach it to make decisions, to to speak and to converse and to do all that like Siri does. It's okay. uh, it's trained.
2: It's trained yep. to to do that.
1: So you know. Maybe one day. You can, you can <laughs> lay back, you can lay back and chill and have uh, a series theory, like
2: uh, host ah. on your interview.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Maybe one day. Um, we are kind of running out of time here, but I do want to ask you, there's a point I want to get to you about um, energy. We're pretty much uh, we're having a little bit of an energy crisis in the whole world right now. Um, and um specifically you, our home country, <laughs> specifically our uh, also specifically our home country Lebanon, our beautiful Lebanon has no energy right now. and uh, I'm curious to think what your thoughts are on like potential solutions, right because you need energy to power all this AI and automation and whatever. so how um, what do you think some solutions could be?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, do we have Do we have time? If I want to go over one more myth that I think go is it. really important. Okay. Go for it. Go I, for uh, it. Let me mention this because it's really important. Yes. Which Which is about automation uh, mm-hmm. will make most jobs redundant and it will take mm-hmm. all jobs. I I think we really need to talk about this now. Go for um, it. Um, this this would, wouldn't be really much of an automation uh, myth list if we didn't include this this one, which is the biggest fear that robots will replace humans and automation will take all the jobs. That's why I think we really need to talk about it. Um, such fear is not new. It's been around for hundreds of years. It has emerged with every wave of mechanization and technological advancements throughout history. Uh-huh. However, such predictions they never manifested in reality and technology never led led to mass unemployment. So I really want people to just stop being so scared about that. Automation can replace most repetitive tasks. Yes, it doesn't mean that businesses will get rid of employees or that people will be jobless simply because humans will always, always be required to keep technologies updated and to handle more complex tasks that require creativity, that require reasoning, that require innovation. And I mentioned about the 96 different types of jobs that are emerging out there. So we just need to educate more people on that. Also, uh, the latest studies from the World Economic Forum, they project that there is a a third of all jobs will be at risk uh, in the next decade due to automation. And it projects at the same time that there's an upside of 133 million new jobs and the creation of 58 million more jobs that will that will be um that will be available for for people those are more jobs than than what what the the displacement is gonna happen so it's true that automation will take some jobs but it will also create many more roles and employment opportunities in the new economy that didn't exist before and without a doubt it already has started doing so um like i mentioned earlier so I oh, just wow. wanted to put this out there because I no, think crucial. people are so scared, and they yeah. really need to know um, to, to know more about that. Right. Um, so to go back to you know what you mentioned about uh, about Lebanon, um, um, you know it's. The energy crisis in uh, in Lebanon, and and since we're speaking to a global audience that doesn't necessarily know about all the details related to Mm -hmm. Lebanon's economy or political climate, Mm -hmm. the energy crisis has been ongoing for a decade. So to put things in perspective for our listeners outside of Lebanon, today the country is facing one of the world's uh, worst financial crises since the 1850s. Since uh, since wow. 2019, there has been a dramatic devaluation of the Lebanese currency. There is a soaring inflation. And uh, as a result right now, we have about 82% of the, of the total Lebanese population of 4 million people that are living in poverty. And out of that 82%, there are 34% that are living already in extreme poverty based on the latest uh, UN reports. Meanwhile, the fuel prices are have risen more than ten times, following the uh, progressive lifting of, of fuel subsidies that happened last year without any alternative support for vulnerable people. Uh, now you need to fill your your car. It, it costs the, the the minimum is like. Uh, it's, it's worth the minimum uncha- unchanged monthly wage to fill up a car tank. That's how ridiculous the prices of, of, of fuel are. Exactly. Oh. Um, the prices diesel used for heating has also spiked. More people are in dire need of, of energy sources to run gears and private generators that supplement the, the government's poor electricity coverage. Um, to, to make it even <laughs> more realistic that as we speak right now, there are around 250,000 homes that don't have access to state electricity regular power cuts are lasting about 22 to 24 hours a day in some areas. Not to forget that we have the Syrian refugee crisis. Mm-hmm. We have the catastrophic Beirut ports explosion that left thousands of families exposed due to the, to the severe damages to their homes. And, and not having necessarily the finances or uh, or the proper heating appliances to to lift through it, the cold winter season that we'' we're, we're, we're just going, we've been going through recently um So anyway like even even if we look at before the economic crash the the country's energy grid was in terrible shape. You have years of corruption and, and mismanagement. the electricity sector is on the brink of total collapse. So the problem is, I say all this because the, the problem is so complex yes. and it needs and it needs a more multi-dimensional problem solving approach. Mm-hmm. And undoubtedly the the, the, most, prog- uh, the most pragmatic solution uh, for Lebanon is to transition to renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Lebanon has more than 300 uh, sunny days per year, which makes it a great fit to generate solar power. There is also potential for wind and hydroelectricity, and experts mm-hmm. already know that, but unfortunately there is no support from the government. Um, so, you know, to, to be more realistic, you know, I, I, people will say like, oh, this is a, this is too much. Yes, to be realistic, building a renewable energy grid is going to take time, and it's a large-scale trans- the, the the large-scale transition will be costly, so executing on this sort of programming and fer- and in favor of more sustainable solutions will need to be phased out. But a real financial investment and leverage on the government will eventually provide everyone access, not only to cheaper and more re- reliable power, but also to cleaner air, to new jobs, to opportunities for citizens to have ownership over local electricity infrastructure. Lebanon already has an, an, an informal electricity sector, as you as you might know, mm-hmm. um, people who can't afford it, they buy and they use private generators when the state power goes off, which is, you know, it, it's not very heard of in most countries.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: this business is already thriving. There, this is this is a business that's already part of the infrastructure and it's already thriving and it could be turned green if we incentivize generator operators to switch to renewable energies as well. So given that people are, uh, they need urgent access to heat, urgent access to power, yes, some of the old solutions cannot be avoided in the short term, but we have local civil society, aid agencies, municipalities, they can all supplement community energy needs by immediately using solar powered microgrids that are separate from the government's electricity network. Um, so there are so many ways that 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 people can start to 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 to, to do things differently. However, mm-hmm. Uh, leading the way forward, besides the short term and and really kind of uh, working with, with existing solutions, leading the way forward, Lebanon needs help to transition to renewable energy. Otherwise, the same problems will keep repeating and millions of people will continue to suffer in the future. So it's a huge problem. Uh, the solutions are there. It needs more commitment. And an understanding that it's a long-term uh, uh, kind of—it's um, <laughs> going to need some stamina in order to to really transition at a large large scale. And um, but you know we cannot avoid it if we want to be be more more self-sufficient and start to really eliminate all the struggles and the pain that people are are suffering from due to this this huge problem. I think we have to start thinking in the long term and how to to start making this transition and implementing uh, more renewable uh, energy solutions.
0: Yeah, I think that's very well put. You really describe the problem and the solution to it in a way I've never heard before. And honestly, it's uh, it's pretty inspiring. I'll say mm-hmm. to to have that you know focus and um, you pretty much uh, Rania. Thank you so much for your time. We really had you here for a good time and. Um, I really do want to, um, you kind of inspired me right now, let me say, especially the point where we're talking about um, the future of education and how much, you know, education is important and, and how much people are left in the dark about the future, whether it's AI or in general. And, you know, I think if people do watch our podcast pretty much, they will learn something new and and, and it's something useful and it's something that they can share with others and, and it can leave a positive impact. So I'm curious, you know, the last question I wanna ask you is what do you think the future of education is gonna be? Um,
1: Uh, Well, I mean, we've been talking about technology and advances in technology a lot. And I think that the advances of technology and its effects are disruptive in nature to all industries and the education sector is no different. Um, technology is completely changing the the basic processes in which learning and teaching take place. it's revolutionizing existing infrastructures, systems, institutions and even uh, long-standing behavioral patterns and ingrained beliefs surrounding education. Um, I think that the technology is going to change education in, in profound ways and some of the some of those uh, ways number one is really, Increasing accessibility. I think technology already has and will continue to break geographical barriers that uh, limited access to education in the past. Nowadays, you have uh, mm-hmm. most ins- institutions or higher learning uh, are pro- uh, of higher learning are offering uh, some of their courses on uh, online basis. There are also universities that are thriving by offering all their courses and programs online. So. Anyone can access a desirable formal education online from anywhere, and accessibility will continue to increase into the future. The second way I think uh, education will change with technology is through increasing flexibility. I think that's incredibly valuable. Uh, With the rise of virtual learning and increased access to Mm -hmm. online education, you don't have to be limited to certain physical locations, uh, nor you are forced to adhere to strict the schedules and timelines, uh, timelines to study like we were right. used to in the, in the traditional ways. Mm-hmm. Technology is really making it easy for anyone to learn from anywhere at their own pace, depending on, of course, the learner's ability. Um, so as long as you schedule uh, an amount of time and you're willing to devote to learning, uh, after, you're you're willing to to devote time to learning and making the effort you have access and you have the flexibility. The third change is is another important factor, which is reducing costs for both education providers and learners Um, using technology on both ends. The the providers uh, can use technological applications uh, to to provide the education and that's that's decreasing their costs tremendously uh, in terms of how they operate. Also uh, for learners, uh, it's leading drastic reductions in the costs that they have to incur while ex- accessing education. So cost reductions due to, to the use of uh, various technological applications will continue to benefit all stakeholders in the education sector. The uh, fourth one, uh, which I think is really interesting too, is really changing how teachers and learners interact. In the past, yeah, in the past, um, teachers they they solely relied on uh, actual meetings to deliver educational materials and interact with their students. Correct.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, nowadays, and also moving into the future, the the absolute dependence on physical meetings is gone. Technological uh, technology mm-hmm. is prov- yeah. It's it, it's. I mean, look at us now. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> So technology is really providing both the, both the teachers and the students a means in which they can interact and remain in touch all the time uh, through applications and Internet based services. And this is absolutely great. Um, okay. The fifth one, the, the fifth one I think is also very interesting is, is how we take tests when it comes to online tests and assessments. Uh, now you have the ability and the, the, the to assess the performance of the learners online without requiring requiring them to necessarily attend assessment sessions physically, like we're also used mm-hmm. to. Right. So there is tremendous advantage in terms of flexibility, in terms of efficiency, in terms of impartiality of e-assessments for both sides as well, and and students can accurately kind of. Uh, get a feel of their own performance while education institutions can accurately and efficiently assess their, their learners uh, using online assessments, which which means they also save time and money and other resources. Um, another one I think is very, very important is being able to accommodate the interests of learner uh, learners who have special needs. And I think that's been mm-hmm. like absolutely a, a very under, uh, underrepresented, uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, providing education to to people with special needs, it's been very lacking in the history of education. It's one of right. the most critical issues um, because we have very standardized and rigid uh, procedures that mm-hmm. lear- learners and teachers go th- go through in traditional uh, classrooms. So that's why you see a lot of people a lot of children uh, who have special needs they kind of become uh, outcast because the system does not cannot really cater to their to their needs and uh, that inevitably works against their interests so with technology you can actually provide a more flexible uh, educate, okay. uh, access, yeah, more flexibility to to give access to interactive mm-hmm. educational environments that suit the personal needs and capabilities and even the challenges that le- learners with uh, various disabilities uh, face. Um, wow. Another one is is uh, lifelong learning.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, we talked about that very early in the conversation is that you have to seek out the knowledge and, and part of Uh, technology, you know, can really enable that, especially in in a technology driven and technology powered world. We have to learn new skills and we have to adapt to the changes that are happening constantly. So with the rise of different technology-based educational platforms and all these new applications and online uh, courses available to all of us, learning is becoming uh, a truly lifelong activity and part of everyone's life since you can learn about anything at any time so moving into the future um, digital learning will definitely become essential and and up, uh, upskilling the the workforce as well and helping people to to integrate much faster as things change and, and on the economical level and in industries and, and there's so much more I mean you so have much. the everything's changing
0: it sounds like everything's
1: changing everything (laughs) everything is changing and and, you Uh know like i think you know Mm -hmm. one of the 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 uh you know most understated you know the uh, impact is really making learning fun again right like one of the one of the (laughs) the main ways and yeah like you know like since when (laughs) learning was fun before technology One of, one of the, the main ways in which technology is and will be changing education relates to the various forms in which learning content is now delivered.
2: Mm-hmm. I think
1: as a, as a result of technology, there are many forms of content, uh, content that teachers can use to enhance the process of learning and teaching from the use of videos, animations, games uh, we have now vr and ar and we're going into the metaverse nice. so as as a result you know yeah like the, the the learning and teaching is gonna be it is now much more mm-hmm. fun and more meaningful than than the way it was in the past and it will continue to become even much more fun with the, with the with the metaverse bringing in a more full immersion uh into a digital classroom environment where students can start to interact with the with the with the learning content in very different ways. So you know that we're heading in, in a really interesting direction, and I think right. it's a matter of adapting to the change, uh, learning the tools and the skills, mm-hmm. and taking advantage taking advantage of all these you know amazing um, uh, opportunities in which technology is making education better. For mm-hmm. all of us and more accessible and flexible and uh yeah engaging for all it's of us
0: very exciting i'll say it's very exciting you know the way education is going and um i'm so like uh you know this podcast itself was so educational and i felt like so in the dark but i feel like you know talking to you now i feel like 10 years in the future honestly so <laughs> <laughs> everyone listening to Thank this you. um i you know i hope uh you learned something and took something out of it i definitely did and you know, share with others, especially younger people that, you know, can benefit from, you know, this kind of specific knowledge and all of us, right? We're all lifelong learners now, as you say. Uh, Rania, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. What an honor. Thank you. How cool is it? Thank you. Honestly. Um, really, thank you. Your insight (laughs) has
3: been like, it's providing us with so much knowledge right now. And this is something that should be in the education system, you know, this kind of information. People should learn about this.
2: I
0: agree. How mind-blowing. All right, Ronnie, you got to go um, do some important work. I got to go edit this podcast. I was going to go watch <laughs> the Batman. Right? Yes, That's the, the new Batman work. movie. got to watch it.
2: Have fun. <laughs> All right, signing out. All right, see you later. Thank Great. you so much.
1: See you later. Adios. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ali and Saeed. It was such a pleasure, pleasure to be with you on the show. See you later. Adios. Thank
2: you. Oh.
1: Bye-bye. <laughs>